0: Hey, thanks so much for joining us at our Red Rocks Church podcast. If you're new here, we're just a bunch of broken, messed up, imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. We hope that this message encourages your heart, builds your faith, so that you can say yes to all of the plans and the purposes of God for your life. Enjoy this message. What's up, church? You guys feeling good today? to say hi to all four Denver-based locations. We love you so much. I want to say hi to Brussels, Belgium. What's up, Brussels? Austin, Texas. We love you. And let's say hi to the, to the best three campuses that we have, our God Behind Bars, men and women. We love you so much. You are every bit as much a part of this church family as those of us sitting in this room right now we love you we believe in you thank you for being with us today who's excited if you just started coming in the last couple weeks my name is sean johnson i work here Um, if this is your church and you're like oh i didn't know you were gone you really ought to start coming more consistently I had promised our board and my counselors that I would take a little bit of time off this month from from preaching. Apparently they're concerned with my mental health. And uh, so now it's a good thing and I'm trying to take good care of myself. So I'm spending a few few weeks this month just and spending extra time with God and uh, extra time with my family. We went camping. You know how much I hate camping. So I got lots of sermon illustrations coming next month. I can't wait. Um let me just say this if you are visiting for the first time uh no matter what country you're in whether you're watching this at a, at a home at an office in a car a bike a hike a run you got your AirPods in whatever the deal maybe you're in a building right now we want you to know this we are just a bunch of messed up imperfect people who love to get together and pursue a perfect god that's who we are and so here's the good news for you here's what that means no matter what's going on in your life right now no matter how far away from God you might feel today, or how close you might feel. If things are going amazing, or if you feel like life has fallen apart and faith isn't even in the equation yet, no matter what you've been through, no matter what anyone's ever said about you, no matter what you might be thinking about yourself right now, I want you to know in this place, you're going to be loved and welcomed and valued and accepted. You've already been prayed for, so welcome to Red Rocks Church. Welcome home. We love you. It is my privilege to introduce today's speaker to you because this was my week on the rotation and I'm taking some time off. Guys, I brought you the best, all right? I brought you the best. This is, I have been friends with this man for probably over 25 years. We met when we were eight and, uh, <laughs> shut up, Andrew. And uh, he is he's one of those guys that after I gave my life to God, I instantly started watching him. I started watching like, that's what it looks like to be a man of God. That's what it looks like to be really good at ministry and love your family at the same time. That's what it looks like to be a husband who puts God and his wife above himself. Like I started learning all these lessons and then, sorry, I don't cry ever, a couple years ago if this is your church, you know I, I had to take a lot of time off work really to deal with mental health stuff. And was dealing with a bunch of anxiety, and, and, and a pastor sat me down and he said, "This shouldn't have got to this. You should have a board of overseers over your church that are pastors from outside of your church that oversee you and the executive team, and have the whole health of you guys in this church in mind all the time." And he and I said, "I said, but I didn't grow up in church. I don't have like pastors that have been in my life all my life that I've grown up knowing." And he's like. Do you have anybody who's been in your life a long time that loves God and loves his family and that you trust him with your life? And I said, I have one. One couple. Jeremy and Jen DeWart. love you. Come on up. I'm done crying. We got to do some church. Hey, can you give it up for my friend, the one and only Jeremy DeWart?
1: Man, how do you preach after that? My gosh. Uh, Hi, Red Rocks. How you guys doing? It is so good to be here. It's an honor to be here. And um, I really want you to know this, that Sean and Jill are um, very dear, close, best friends of Jen and myself. And uh, man, I, I, I I just know this. I know that God's hand is on their lives and God is doing great things. And Red Rocks has started like in a living room and then went to like, you know, a carnival <laughs> to an amusement park that now has grown to be a worldwide movement. It's, it's just beginning. It, it's just the start. And, and now people are watching in 150 countries and there's all these locations all over the world. But, but I want you to know this. I want you to know that God is honoring the faithfulness of your senior leaders, Sean and Jill Johnson. And, and I just know they, they, are, they are heaven's best, I, I promise. And I'm not just trying to say this. I, I've spent the last five years studying the topic of honor because um, of some own personal pain that I've gone through. And and, and you know what? The one thing that I've found is any world-changing, earth-shattering church that is thriving, regardless of size, every thriving, growing church that's making hell nervous and advancing the kingdom of heaven, it always has a culture of honor. If if it's not honorable, if there isn't honor in the house, then guess what, the church is not thriving. And I really believe this. I believe that Red Rocks is a culture of honor. And I want us to take a moment here and I wanna honor Sean and Jill Johnson. And so listen, wherever you're at, at whatever location, you stand to your feet right now. And I mean, come on, make some noise because these guys are amazing. Love you, Sean. Love you, Jill. All right. You guys go ahead and have a seat, alright? Well, I just want to give a big shout-out right now to all the Denver locations: Austin, Texas, and the great country of Texas. Uh, Brussels, Belgium. Uh, any of you joining online, and obviously God behind bars. We also have some God behind bars locations at our Church City First Church. And I want to tell you, they are our favorite locations. Uh, we, we love you guys very, very much. But I just want to take a moment and pray. And I believe God put a word upon my heart today. Um, I've been wrestling with it. You know, what should I do? And it really narrowed down to two sermons. And this one is the one that kind of surfaced. And I believe it is a, a word for uh, all of us. So let's just go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you. Jesus, we honor you. You are the one that deserves the honor in this house. Lord, you're the one that is lifted high. You're the one that changes lives. You break addictions off of people. You save us. Lord, you give us purpose. So God, we are grateful that you are here right now in this place. And Lord, we just honor you. We love you. And we pray that you would speak loudly to us in Jesus' name. And everybody said real loudly, amen, amen, amen. Amen. Well, you know, one thing that we all have in common, regardless of where you are at right now, if you're at this location or a location or you're in your you know, living room right now watching on Roku or on Apple TV or wherever you're at, the one thing we all have in common, even if you're in another country, is the last year and a half has been really bad. It 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 really has. It it has not been normal. It's not been good. It's 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 actually been it's it's been terrible in some ways, you know. And and one thing that I get asked over and over again um, at my church asks me is, Jer, what are you studying right now in the Word of God during this crazy season? And I have done something in the last year and a half. I've narrowed my personal devotional time to just studying the words and the stories, and the actions of Jesus. Literally, I mean, the Bible is full of all kinds of wisdom, and, and, you know, what? I've studied all different parts of the Bible, but I'm focusing in on, you know, what are called the Gospels, which those are the first four books of the New Testament. I've really been focusing mainly on those because I want to know what are the words and the actions and especially the stories called parables of Jesus in this craziness where we don't even realize what is true, what's up, what's down or anything like that. I know that Jesus is true, and I know his words are timeless, right? Amen? You know, is that true? So I've been studying that. And, and one thing I've also discovered is discovered that isolation is, is not healthy, and we had to isolate for a season, right? We had to get in shelter in place. We had to be able to, to just, you know, stay locked in our houses and such like that. And, and it's not healthy. It's not healthy to be separated from other people because this is what happens. When you're separated from other people, you start creating narratives that aren't true about your own life, about your relationship with those other people, about life in general. And, and so I, uh, I found myself recently even reconnecting with someone that, I hadn't talked to since before COVID. And, and you know, really, um, I had had some narratives going on. I was like, I wonder what this person is thinking. Like, like we really haven't talked. And and I, I got on the phone with them just real recently, and it was like nothing ever happened. It was like our friendship just picked right back up again. But in this day and age, sometimes that doesn't feel that way. Like, you ever texted somebody before, and they, do, they don't text you back right away, and you're thinking to yourself, what the heck? What the heck is going on here, right? Is there something between us? What's happening, right? Or, or then you do the old-fashioned thing, and you leave a voicemail. And then they don't get back to you even after a voicemail, and you're like, now I'm officially offended. I am offended. What is the deal, right? And then finally, when you do reconnect with them, it was like there was no weirdness. Nothing, nothing was weird. Nothing was strange. But you had created this narrative inside of your head. You'd created this story. You wondered if there was something there. And that happens many times when there is distance. And in fact, it's kind of like one of these things, a magnifying glass. Sean, this is in our future. We're getting old. We go to the retirement center together and we're doing puzzles together. We're gonna need these, all right? (laughs) But this is something, when when you have a magnifying glass and you're really close, it it brings everything clear. But if you ever try to look through a magnifying glass at something far away, it creates a distorted view. In fact, it actually inverts it. It actually turns it upside down. And that's what happens in relationships. When there is distance, it creates distortion. Distance creates distortion. And if distance can create this misperception of truth and distortion and all that, well, then I believe that also that closeness can bring clarity. So when you're distant, you're distorted. When you decide to get rid of the distance and you get close, it brings clarity. And I want you to remember that, because that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about closeness bringing clarity. Today I want to talk about a parable of Jesus where it's about distance that created distortion. And I want to warn you, OK, Red Rocks, I want to warn you. this, this parable's intense. In fact, a lot of the parables of Jesus are pretty intense, if you really read them. And and yet, at the same time, I really believe this. I believe that we need to hear this parable, and we need to take it into account for our lives today, because it is very relevant. It's found in Luke chapter 16. So if you have our Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 19 through 31, and I'm reading out of the ESV, which I normally don't preach out of, but I like the, the, the language in this version. And uh, Luke chapter 16, Jesus says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. Now, before I go on, I want you to know this, that very few people in Jesus's day wore purple. It wasn't that it was unfashionable. It was that to make the purple dye was super, super expensive. In fact, what they used to make purple dye actually was very rare. So only the very, very wealthy and only the very, very powerful wore purple. In fact, um, I'm talking kind of wealth that is like stupid wealth. I'm not talking the kind of wealth like I, I have a Porsche and a Louis Vuitton purse. I'm not talking that. I'm talking a different level. I'm talking Elon Musk kind of wealth. Like you use, lose a few billion dollars in the day and it's okay. Like that kind of wealth. You wore purple. Or if you were very, very powerful. Like, like if, you were, if you were like Caesar, you wore purple. But if you were a pilot who, like, helped in the crucifixion of Jesus, you didn't wear purple because you weren't important enough. If you were the high priest of, of like, you know, the temple in Jerusalem, you wore purple. And so we get this picture that Jesus is talking about this person who is very rich or very powerful, and it says, at his gate laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, the minute that Jesus said this to this group of people that he was preaching to, they would have been super confused. And the reason why is, is because if the man is covered with sores, most likely he has leprosy. Leprosy was very contagious in that day. It was very common in Jesus's day. And if you had leprosy, you actually were not allowed to come into the city. You actually were a part of a leper colony outside of the city. And if anybody ever approached you who was like healthy, you had to say unclean, 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 meaning like don't get near me because you may catch what I have. So immediately as Jesus is telling the story, and it says that this man covered with sores was outside of this rich man's home, people are thinking, well, why in the world is he even inside of the city? That he shouldn't even be there in the first place, especially in front of this rich man's home. I mean, like, you got to think about this. This guy lives in the Beverly Hills portion of Jerusalem. Like homeless people don't hang out there. You know what I mean? And Jesus is saying that this homeless guy named Lazarus. Now, this is the only time in all of Jesus's parables that he actually names the first character or the primary character of the parable. Jesus preached dozens of parables. Most of them are unnamed people, except for this one. This one, he names him Lazarus. You ever heard of Lazarus before, like the real Lazarus? There's a real Lazarus. What did he do? He died. And got raised from the dead by Jesus, right? Remember? The real Lazarus, he lived in a place called Bethany, about four days walk away from, uh, from Jerusalem. And, and, and he lived there with his siblings, Mary and Martha. And Jesus, we believe, used to go there for vacation. Like, like you know, it was kind of his Hawaii, you could say. Whenever he needed a break from ministry, whenever he needed a sabbatical, he would go to Bethany, and he would hang with Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and he'd eat really good food. I don't have time to talk about this, but you know what? Jesus was a foodie. He really was. Think about all the times that there were stories of Jesus. He's always eating. In fact, I say this. He, he eats bad food, or excuse me, good food with bad people all the time. That's what he does. So he's eating. He's hanging out in Bethany with Lazarus. Isn't it interesting that the only parable that Jesus names the main character, he names him after a good friend by the name of Lazarus? In fact, we really believe possibly that Lazarus was Jesus's best friend. He wasn't a disciple. He just loved to hang with him. And so anyway, it goes on. and says the poor man, meaning Lazarus, died it was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, now this is another word for hell. So, so in other words, the poor man dies, goes to heaven. The rich man dies and goes to hell. Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. You know, read the stories of Jesus slowly. Because there's something here that, Is pretty sobering. Is Jesus innuendoing? Is he forecasting that someday in eternity when there's a heaven and there's a Christless eternity called hell, that there's going to be the ability for those that go to a Christless eternity to see into heaven and everything that they missed because they decided to not make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of their life. What is Jesus saying here? This is heavy stuff. I told you the story is heavy, right? I mean, like, literally, I read this, I was like, oh, God, this is so important. This is why the church is so important. This is why we can't just stay in a holy huddle, us seven all the way to heaven, but we must be telling people about Jesus 24-7, right? (laughs) Jesus goes on to say, and he called out, meaning the rich man called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, so he knew his name. He knew this, this homeless man's name. There had to be some sort of a relationship there, Right? send lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for i am in anguish in this flame but Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And so Jesus is saying between these two spaces, there's now a permanent barrier. And at one point, this, this rich man, Chose distance, right? Chose distance. Said, homeless person, you, you live on the outside of the gate. Outside of the gate of my house. He chose distance, but now there's a distance that's been chosen for him. And so the rich man said, I beg you. I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers so that they, that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Here now in this story, the people who were squirming before because they didn't understand why a leper would be in a city, now they're really squirming. This is the moment that probably they're murmuring to one another. They're like whispering to one another. They're actually, probably some of them are getting mad, to be honest with you, at this moment. Now, we live in America or wherever we live in this century. We don't understand many times what it was like in Jesus's day unless it brings context. So here, I'm gonna bring a little context, okay? Because the minute that Jesus said this, people started connecting that. Remember why I said that only the very wealthy or only the very powerful wore purple? Well one of the people that wore purple was the high priest of Jerusalem his name was Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the mastermind, the architect that sometime within about 3 years of Jesus telling this parable, Caiaphas would make sure that Jesus was arrested and tortured and beaten and that he would work with Pilate to try to contrive a way that Jesus would eventually be crucified and would die. Caiaphas is the main character in the Gospels who is out to get Jesus. And he was the one that wore purple in the city where Jesus is telling this parable. Do you want to guess how many brothers Caiaphas has? Five in this time frame. He has five. He has a father who originally was over the temple, and the father handed off the reins to Caiaphas. Caiaphas has five brothers, and here's Jesus saying that in the story, the one that wears purple is now in hell, and he is begging that someone would go tell five brothers the truth. Do you think Jesus is firing a shot over the bow here by any chance? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying true spirituality is not keeping marginalized people at a distance, but rather true spirituality is living in the margins with them. That is why Jesus says, when you were in prison, you visited me. When you, when I was hungry, you fed me. When, when, when I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. You see, see, Jesus lives in the margins, and, and here he's saying, he's saying, listen, here's this guy who, who is the head of the religious movement of the day, and he's innuendoing that that man is now in hell. Talk about being canceled. Jesus would have been canceled at this moment. The crowd would have been getting very agitated. They would have been like, what are you, what are you saying here, right? And so Jesus is signaling something here that we need to listen to. And then it says, Abraham answered, but they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham basically responded. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. What is Jesus saying here? Who's going to die and be resurrected? Jesus. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying even some people who are working for the church, working for the cause, you could say, even they will see that I Die and I'm resurrected, and yet they're still not gonna believe. They're still not gonna believe. A miracle could happen right in front of them. And so at this point, I mean, the 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 crowd is probably super confused as what is going on. So here's my main question I have for us today, Red Rocks. I know it's a heavy story. I know it's kind of like every location right now, everybody's just kind of going. Like this, the oxygen is out of the room. I knew it, I knew it. I told Pastor Sean that beforehand. I'm like, this is a heavy story. But I I believe we can learn from this. And here's what I know, that there's a purpose and a reason behind the story and that Jesus is trying to communicate. So why, why, why did the rich man go to hell? Why did he go to hell? Was it because he had a lot of money? No. You having a lot of money doesn't send you to hell. In fact, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a lot of money, just as long as money doesn't have you. Does that make sense? So there's nothing wrong with it. Is it because he had nice clothes? No, that had nothing to do with it, right? Jesus is painting actually the picture of this rich man is actually not that big of a jerk. Let me explain, because I gave you all of the background and the context on the innuendos that are being spoken here. But if you look actually at the story, what does Jesus say? That the rich man allows the homeless man to live at the end of his sidewalk on the other side of the gate. He even sends scraps of food. Like, like I want us to really get into this story for a moment. I want us to ask ourselves a question. What would it be like if there was a homeless man that had a highly contagious disease living at the end of your sidewalk. What would you do? What would I do? Would that not be super uncomfortable? Wouldn't that be awkward? Would that not be a bother to a certain degree? What would we do? Would we call the cops? Would we call the authorities? What would we do? What does Jesus say that this rich man does? He lets them live there. He lets them live there. I mean, now think about this. All of the rich man's, like wealthy friends, are coming over for dinner. And they're walking up to his gate. And there is this homeless leper who's supposed to be on the outside of the city sitting there with the dogs. And they're having to, like, walk around him. And they're like, what in the world is going on here? And they get inside the house and they're like, John, you really should do something about that guy at the end of your sidewalk. And John answers back and goes, ah, he's not hurting anybody. In fact, you know what? Chef, any leftovers we have, go ahead and take them, take them out to that man. His name's Lazarus, by the way. You see, this guy who's rich is, is not a jerk. And, and, and you know what? Thirdly, on top of not just letting him live there, and secondly, feeding him, thirdly, the dogs are licking his wounds, and you go, well, that's kind of gross, but you know what? We don't really think these are street dogs because the wealthy back in that day, they were in danger of being robbed all the time. So these are guard dogs. These are guard dogs that are trained at the, to, to be at the gate and attack anyone that was a stranger, which means this, if the dogs are nuzzling up next to Lazarus, he's been there for a really long time. He's been there for a really long time. So so again, I ask you this question, why? Why is the rich man in hell? Because I'm gonna be really honest with you. I think he would do more than maybe I would do if there was a homeless person right down my sidewalk. I mean, this guy is not a jerk, right? Well, maybe. Maybe Jesus is trying to say this, that most people like to help those that are marginalized or different, but they don't want a relationship with them. (laughs) Maybe the missionary to India, Amy Carmichael, who said this, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And sometimes I know for me, it's easier to write a check. And sometimes for me, it's easier to keep people that make me uncomfortable at a distance. And it's easier for me to live in my little tribe of people who are like me, who look like me, that are the same color as I am, who think the same way that I think, to have the same politics that I have. It's just easier for me to live in my little echo chamber, right? And I can keep everybody else at arm's length. And you know what? I can kind of, you know, send little gifts here and there and do little efforts and things like that, but I don't have relationship with these people. It's easier, Right? And, and, you know, I think each of us can ask God to help us become better at having relationship with those that are marginalized and outcasts, those that are under-resourced, right? Listen, I, I live in a nice neighborhood. You all probably live in a nice neighborhood. And, and, you know, maybe it's not as nice as the neighborhood three blocks down, but but, you know, compared to the rest of the world, we live in a really nice neighborhood. And, and, and guess what? We, there, there, are, there are people around us. And I'm not just talking like we should not only have a relationship with poor people. I'm talking about people that, that, that are different than us. And, and the rich man, he, he, he had this, this reason. He wanted to keep strategic distance between him and Lazarus. And, and I don't know what the reason was. Was he scared? Was he scared of people that are different? Was he fearful of catching that disease? Was he busy, just too busy? You know, he's too busy. He's too busy doing things, right? Or, or was he just uncomfortable? So I have a question for all of us here today. Who in your world makes you uncomfortable? Maybe, just maybe, that's the person Jesus wants you to open your gate to. They, they, I mean, like, literally, they make you uncomfortable, right? Right? And I'll be honest with you. I do everything I can in my life to be comfortable. I like buying comfortable clothes and shoes. I like having a comfortable car, a comfortable couch. I love having a comfortable house. We just got new carpet in our living room, and we got the most comfortable plush carpet possible, because I love walking around barefoot in plush carpet. Like, I do everything in my life to be comfortable, and Jesus did everything in his life to hang around people who made everybody else uncomfortable. And I'm like, oh, man. And so we live in this ever-increasing polarized world where people just are in their little tribes of like thought and like belief and like lifestyle, and it's safe. It's super safe. And maybe what Jesus is saying here is that if we are to truly be people that are spiritual, if we're truly to be people that are godly, that we are not to live safe. Instead, we're supposed to live uncomfortable. We're supposed to put ourselves purposely in situations where we have relationship with those who are different, right? Who are marginalized, and the question I have for all of us is who is on the outside of our world? Who have we placed there in the workplace? You know, it's that, it's that one dude or that one girl just drives you crazy, right? Or they have some really like crazy beliefs and they're just loud about those beliefs and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, and you try to avoid them. Or they have a lifestyle you don't agree with. Or, or, or there's all these different things that just rub you wrong, And they're on the outside of your gate. Or how about school? You know, I realize it's summer right now. Most of you aren't in school. But, you know, you think about the one kid in your school who always gets made fun of. He's always bullied. She's always made fun of. They're they're kind of like the butt of all the jokes, you know. that Everybody has, like, little inside jokes about them. Because they're just different. They don't do what you do. They don't act like you act. And maybe they're on the outside of your gate. Or your neighbor. The one who doesn't take care of their lawn. And it drives you crazy, right? It's like dandelions are up to here. I mean, you're just like, would they just flip and mow their lawn, you know? And, and you're looking at them, and you're just like, come on, right? And they're the people that make you uncomfortable as long as, well, everybody else in the, in the entire neighborhood and in the association, right? And they're on the outside of your gate. And maybe today, maybe today Jesus is saying, you find those people, And you open your gate and you close the gap and you eliminate the distance because the distance has created distortion. And once you get close, you start to hear their story. I had a business owner come to me last week, and he said that there was a homeless person downtown Rockford, Illinois, where we live, and he started to have a conversation and found out that this person is homeless only for the last three months, lost his job, could not get unemployment, did not qualify for one reason or another, and literally lost his business and is now on the streets of Rockford, Illinois. This person isn't someone that's the stereotypical homeless person, but they fell on bad times and hard luck, And sometimes when you get close to people, you start hearing their stories, and the person doesn't mow their lawn because maybe they have a disability, and they're not able to mow, and they can't afford to be able to hire somebody to mow. And all of these different things, you start to learn the story because guess what? The distance has created distortion, but closeness brings clarity. (laughs) Closeness brings clarity. And you begin to know the person. You begin to love the person. You begin to see their... Mindsets, their struggles, their challenges, and their battles. So, will you? Will you open your gate? Because this is what I know as I close. I know that uh, we have this assumption. We have the assumption that the person on the other side of our gate needs us. They need us. They need our money. They need our help, advice. Maybe they need us to help them put together a resume. Maybe they need us to help them befriend them. We think we're the Savior in this scenario. And that's where I would say the distance has created distortion because here's the reason why you need them maybe even more than they need you because Jesus lives in those places and in those relationships and in the margins And in the places of brokenness. If you ever pray a prayer, Jesus, move in my life. You know where he moves the most? Go find someone who's marginalized and befriend them. You'll see Jesus move in your life. Because in that relationship, he changes you, your preconceived ideas, maybe even your prejudices. He begins to change your worldview, and you begin to realize there's a whole other story that you didn't realize when there was distance. You've been looking at that person from a distance, and it's all flipped upside down and fuzzy, but now as you're getting close, you're beginning to see they're made in the image of God. God loves them and cares about them, and it changes you. It changes you. Here's a picture of um, our youngest son. We have three boys, uh, two college-age, or one just graduated from college. The other one is in college. And then this is our little guy. He's nine years old. His name is Paxton. Paxton was our little surprise. Um, our, our, there was a 10-year gap where we didn't change diapers, and then we got back in the game. And, uh, and this, was the, uh, this was the welcome home from Thailand, uh, baby, baby. All right, this is what happened here. And, uh, and so little Paxton came along and we didn't realize and I'm sure you could see by um, his almond eyes that, that uh, he has special needs. He has Down syndrome. And we didn't realize that until uh, we were in literally the delivery room and the, uh, the doctor said, hey, Jeremy, Jen, your son has traces of Down syndrome. We didn't, we didn't have any clue. Um, after... After reaching out to my family and letting them know, um, literally, the first person I called outside my family was your pastor. And um, we cried over the phone. And I was like, Sean, I have a kid now with special needs. I don't know what to do. I mean, I'm a a big church pastor. (laughs) I'm busy. I got two other kids. And now all of a sudden I have this child that I love very much. And I mean, this was fresh. This was in like 24 hours. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm heartbroken and I'm angry and I'm confused. I don't know what to do. I could tell you all kinds of stories about Paxton. I could preach sermons about Paxton because he's changed our lives. But this is the point I want to make today. Um, I immediately was adopted into the marginalized society when we had Paxton. The society of those that have special needs or families of those that have special needs. And I'll tell you what happened in my life is that I realized that I had a very warped view of life prior to Paxton. I was full of a lot of pride and I didn't have a lot of compassion. Even though I was a pastor, I mean I had compassion, but I didn't have the compassion that I needed. And and I'll tell you that, that little Paxton has changed me, and I know what my wife too, but I'm talking about me right now. Changed me in a way that I could not explain to you. All I know is this, is that is that in that moment of all of a sudden becoming uncomfortable with this idea that I'm a parent of a child with special needs, all of a sudden now I'm like, wow, I'm so blessed to be the parent of a child with special needs because it has changed me. Paxton has changed me. When I announced it to our church, City First, I, I wrote this and it was a prophetic thing. Honestly, I didn't even realize what I was saying at the time. And now I look back, I said this, I said, you know what? God has sent Paxton to us to care for him, but maybe God sent Paxton to us so that Paxton will care for us and and I will tell you that's exactly what happened he's changed me way more than I've changed him (laughs) and and here's what I know that when we walk in the mall he walks really slow and people that are speedy shoppers and they're stuck behind us they kind of walk around us and they give us a look or when we're in a restaurant, he's not the most well-behaved. He loves drinking like LaCroix or any fizzy water and then he burps like 24 seven. I mean, just literally the whole, the whole meal. He's like burp, burp, burp. He's burping and I'm like, uh, and everybody in the restaurant is looking at us, you know? Especially the nicer restaurants. And, and then when he's in public and he sees a really cute girl, he wants to go up and kiss her on the lips. Now, part of me, I'm kind of like, yes, okay, that's cool. But, you know, (laughs) but it's awkward, right? And we're like trying to teach them you can't kiss people on the lips. You can't just walk up to strangers and kiss them on the lips. And everybody's like in that moment kind of awkward and things. Why do I tell you the story? I tell you the story because this is what I really believe. I believe when we get out of our safe comfort zones where we're comfortable, and we enter into worlds where there are marginalized and broken people, And people that have fallen on hard luck and people that, that maybe are different than us in their opinions and in their views of life, God begins to do a work in us there that he cannot do if you stay safe. So you know what I want you to do, Red Rocks, this week? I don't want you to listen to this nice message and just... wow, that was great. I want you to get uncomfortable this week. I want you to not be safe this week. I want you to not just stay in your tribe this week, but I want you to pray and say, God, who do you want me to open my gates and to have relationship with and to be able to have you move? And this is what I know. This is what I know. You can't do this without Jesus in you. You can't do this without the Holy Spirit in you. So even for some of you that are watching right now, you never made Jesus the leader and the forgiver of your life. Your first step is to say, Jesus, forgive me of all of my wrong. Come into my life. I want to live for you. And you know what? He gives you the ability to do this. But even for those of us that already Jesus is Lord and Savior, we need help with this because our default is to go comfortable. Our default is to stay safe. So I'd like us to do this at every location. I want us to stand up, no one leaving, unless it's an absolute emergency. Even if you're in your living room right now, stand to your feet, all right? Come on, I'm gonna pray, and we're gonna worship here in a moment, but this is what I wanna do. I wanna pray that God moves in us and gives us the strength, the wisdom, the discernment, the eyes that see, so that we open up our gate to the people that make us uncomfortable, that are different, and that God would do a work in that relationship that is an eternal work, something that we can't do in our own, but that he does in us and through us. So Lord, right now, we just pray that God, you would help us, fill us with your spirit, fill us with your love, help us to see with eyes like you see the people that are in the margins, the people that have been rejected, the people that are on the outside of our safe gates. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the Lazaruses in our lives. And God, give us the courage and the wisdom to be able to open up our gates, to begin to strike a relationship with them, to have a friendship with them, to be able to learn their story. And in that, I pray that you would change them and that you would change us. May we be more like you, Jesus. You spent your life eating good food with bad people that made everyone else uncomfortable. God, may we have those moments that we are uncomfortable, but the Holy Spirit is there working. May it be something that we do. May it be strategic. May it be prayerful. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give praise
0: to God. Let's do that.